Blog Talk Radio. Good morning and thank you for joining us today for Live Dharma Sunday. Please note that if you have called in to listen to today's broadcast, then all lines have been placed on mute to avoid background interference. If you're listening from any of our Bright Dawn sites, note that it is not necessary to call in. You may have to wait a second or two for the loading and buffering process to complete, but if there is still no audio, please refresh your page. For more information about Bright Dawn and its activities and links to our social media sites, please visit brightdawn.org. Once again, thank you for listening to Live Dharma Sunday, and enjoy the talk. Welcome everyone to Live Dharma Sunday for August 9th, 2020. Oyo here, so very, very glad you joined us. We have a special show today. Well, uh, as usual in the morning, one of my rituals is I go to the computer and check things out. And there was an article uh, dated with today's date, so it's a very recent article that's posted on Parabola uh, uh, magazine, and um, it's by Leland Vaughn Lee, and the title is Finding Balance unstable world and uh, he talks about the pandemic he says we need to take the opportunity to rebalance ourselves Um, he says most of the uh, attention and coming from all our leaders is they use the image of conflict we're at war with COVID-19. Okay. It's an invisible enemy. You know, we need to conquer it. Um, and he says, well, although indeed the virus is disrupting our lives, causing sickness, death, economic breakdown, but, you know, it is nature. It's a natural phenomenon, you know. It's just following the way of nature. It doesn't mean mean uh, to do bad, mean things. Um, so he wonders whether the image of conflict and conquest is the only way to to look at things. I mean, there are other constructive, helpful ways. Okay. Should should we ask that? Gee, maybe this is an opportunity to understand and to respond about how to bring our world back into balance. He 
says, uh, he quotes one of Carl Jung's favorite stories is The Rainmaker, uh, which was told to him by his friend Richard Wilhelm. And the story goes, there was a great drought uh, in a part of China, and for months there was not a drop of rain, and the situation had become catastrophic. The Catholic made processions, the Protestants made prayers, the Chinese burned jaw sticks and shot off guns to frighten away the demons of the drought. No results. Finally, one of the Chinese wise men said, well, hey, let's go get the, the rainmaker. Uh, and from another province, province, they found this old man. And the only thing he asked for was a quiet little house somewhere, and there he locked himself in for three days. On the fourth day, the clouds gathered, and there was a great rain, and uh, this was very, you know, unexpected and unusual. Uh, the town was full of so many rumors about this wonderful rainmaker, and they said, "What? Well, how, how did he do it? Okay. And uh, uh, he was asked in the usual fashion, hey, they call you the rainmaker. Will you tell us how you made all this rain? And the rainmaker said, no, I, I didn't make the, the rain. I, I'm not responsible. But what have you been doing these last three days? Oh, well, I could explain that. I come from another country where things are in order. But here, they were out of order. They were not as they should be by the ordinance of nature. So the whole, this country was not in Tao. Uh, and I am also not in the natural order of things, the Tao, because I am in this disordered country. So I had to wait three days till I put myself back into the Tao. And then naturally the rain came. So the author of this article says, well, where are today's rainmakers? Those who come from another country where things are in order. Uh, did we banish them all too long ago? Did we exile them from our world of science and rational thought? It was long common in indigenous cultures when life went out of balance they consulted their shamans and their dreams, and well, today we don't have very many shamans, and even our dreaming self has been censored. Uh, its its stories regulated to our journals or the therapist's couch. We do know how to struggle and fight, but not how to be silent and receptive. We have forgotten how to look and listen. And yet the signs are all around us. And for some, the best response to this pandemic might be like the rainmaker to retire to a quiet little house where rather than binging on endless streaming shows, we might look inward. We might return to the Tao and to what is in balance with the life's natural flow. Uh, let's see. 
and this is quite a long article, and he and he goes on for us to to trust into some and look into something deeper, to listen to the earth, the old ways. The pandemic presents an opportunity to turn away from the clutter and distractions of outer modern life and return to the deeper roots of our being where we can be replenished and we can help replenish our world. The earth is dying from the ravages of our culture's materialistic nightmare, pollutes the air we breathe, the water we drink, and starves our spirit of its natural connection to the sacred. And he goes on, and it's a pretty nice article. He talks about, he, um, he's, he's affiliated with the Sufi tradition, but he talked about Carl Jung. He talked about the Tao, Chinese Taoism. And he also, in the article, talks about the Buddha's famous flower sermon, where he just held up a flower and didn't say anything. And he says that he, he interprets that flower sermon as making the same message that he's talking about. That was the Buddhist teaching. That's how he interprets that flower sermon. Well, well, well. So it's a, uh, it was a very interesting article. <laughs> well, if you turn on all the news on, news on television and everything, Boy, it's wall-to-wall coverage of you-know-what, okay? And uh, I have to admit that for Adrian and I on Brighton Center here, our life hasn't been changed that much. You know, we're both retired. We don't have, you know, by ourselves, and we're on six acres of nice land. <laughs> you know, we don't have a busy social life or anything. Uh so it's kind of, it seems kind of strange that we know everything's uh, what the situation is. Okay, well, and so I wonder. I said, "Gee, I'm doing the exact same thing that I did. I always did go out to the garden, take the dogs for a walk around our property, and, and so forth." Well, okay. I want to introduce our special guest. He's calling in live today. This is Andy Goyo. Uh, we have connections that go back many decades, and uh, but he lives currently in. Uh, we originally met uh, in Greenboro, North Carolina. I don't know if some of you heard that heard that uh, that story, and then we reconnected just serendipitously several decades later, and he went to our program. He was part of our LM4 group. He now lives in New Jersey. So, without further ado, Andy Goyo Sensei. Well, thank you, Sensei. Thank you, thank you for this opportunity to talk to everyone. Um, after a bit, I do wish I was talking more about things like basketball, but I haven't done that in six months. So, I will talk a little bit about what's happening lately. Um, various parts falling apart at various rates. This is how I describe aging. Over the past 15 plus years of trying to incorporate a Buddhist perspective into my daily life, I've used a variety of strategies as new situations and conditions arise. 
and I've learned to view the causative conditions in different ways as well. My latest interesting situation has involved a bladder that has gradually failed to fulfill its filling function. It started to be particularly bad in early March, um, just as we all went into lockdown. So, of course, I waited months to go to a urologist as things got worse, including an infection-induced fever for a week that generated a virus scare, though I did test negative. By the time I saw the urologist just two weeks ago, he simply said, you need to be catheterized right now. Joy. It was not pleasant, in part, I think, because I did not have time to relax. Just heard him say, relax. He told me I could learn to self-catheterize or he could place one in for the next week. I am not one who thinks mind versus body. I view us as a behaving organism. My behavioral reaction to catheters was filled with a history of pain and discomfort, especially with doctors using cameras, including that visit. So I opted for a week with a catheter instead of the inserted for the entire time. Lots of disruptions to normal activities. But it was not painful. When I saw him the next week with some new test information, he again offered to teach me. I again declined. Then a couple of days later I said, this is inevitable, so just go and do it. And I called and asked if a nurse could help. But when I went to see her, she declined because the day before, with a different nurse doing a different catheter test, she had difficulty inserting the catheter. So I waited to see the doctor on Friday, and he had a camera. More joy. But I had a little time to get my breathing right, and this time the catheter didn't bother me at all. So I asked him to teach me, and voila. It was easy. No pain at all. Uh, very high on the weirdo meter, though. So my history with the catheter was part of my condition and my anticipation of pain. Did my PhD-trained brain go, try it and see how it feels? Nope. It went straight to, this is going to hurt, over and over. I'm going to insert what? Where? Both as a behavior analyst and as a Buddhist, my view is that we are dragging around our histories like a bag of bricks. It slows us down and interferes with the direct experiences that are possible. I do often remind myself to put it by the river, but sometimes our histories just overwhelm us. That same pain avoidance likely led to the current problems because three years ago, another urologist suggested surgery as my bladder issues were increasing then. But I managed to talk to a different urologist that I had known for years, even though he lived several hours away, and he agreed we could monitor the impact of the meds I was taking. However, he and I failed to adequately measure what the bladder was doing over time. By the time that bladder issue was very serious, it may be unalterably damaged. It also was putting severe pressure on one kidney, 
which may also now be significantly impaired. That avoidance wasn't primarily due to fear of pain for the surgery. It was more fear of losing the capacity to enjoy sexual relations with my wife, who I adore endlessly. So fear led to a poor choice. And now I hope I can have the same surgery. Will my bladder recover its normal functioning? No assurance and only iffy. My perspective now is that if I have to self-catheterize forever, I'll still be happily alive and functioning, so I will be grateful and content. I will focus on what I will do, not what I have lost through poor decision-making. In the past, I may have been consumed with guilt over past choices that didn't work out. Now I'm better at refocusing on what is ahead and what is present. I am grateful for the various calming strategies I've learned to help the body relax so my behaviors can improve the situation. I am grateful for the lessons that my sensei and sangha have taught me over the years, and I thank you all. Thank you very much. Well, (laughs) you know, about a week ago, We we exchanged some emails because he said he was gonna give his Dharma trips live, and I said, you know, are we all set? And he he just had a he said, you know, very it was just a short email, and he said, uh, yeah, I'm all set, and I also have to do this catheter thing, and uh, <laughs> and I responded in a short email. I said, catheter, <laughs> that for me whenever I I. I see or hear that word. <laughs> There's a conditioned emotional reaction, you know. Um, uh, I, I, uh, there was a reference in the Dharma Glimpse to leave it by the river, and uh, probably most of you don't remember. It was quite a, a few years ago, but in our oneness newsletter, he ran a article that was written by Andy Goyo Sensei uh, that was put that title, and he this is one of his famous teaching stories, and uh, uh, many of you might have heard this classic Buddhist uh, story about the uh, uh, senior monk who was traveling with uh, his disciple, younger monk, in the countryside, you know, because. Back in the day, they walked from temple to temple or wherever they're going on the countryside. And they came to a river, and there was a beautiful young lady dressed in her fancy kimono, and she couldn't, uh, you know, it's hard for her to cross the river. So she asked for help, and the senior monk picked her up and carried her over to cross the river and put her down and the younger disciple monk was shocked because there was a strong precept against monks. You know, don't touch the opposite sex. Don't touch females. That's pro- it's a prohibited. And he, he was just so shocked he couldn't say anything. And they walked for about a mile or so, and then finally he couldn't help himself. And he said, Master, you know, and he explained all oh, the precepts and everything, and yet you carried that girl, you know, across the, across the river. And the senior monk turned and said, 
Are you still carrying that woman? I put her down way back on the other shore of the river. Uh, beautiful story and uh, teaching story. Uh, uh, well, you can, you know, the, you could, you could express the moral in many ways. Okay. Uh, but it also pertains to the whole Dharma glimpse, I think, uh, about the role of expectations and how crucial a role they play and cause a lot of problems in our lives. Okay. When we have expectations, of course, you know, it's not easy to have keep an empty mind or be fresh in, you know, when we meet situations, the beginner's mind. Okay. Oh, we all want to be experts. Isn't all isn't past experiences supposed to be, you know, what life is all about, how we learn and everything? Well, yes. But sometimes the very thing that's our strengths become our biggest weakness. And the expert's mind is full of things. And when there's a new kind of a problem that requires a creative solution, boy, the expert has a tough time because there's so many interfering uh, equations and rules of thumb that have served them well, but they're not appropriate for this situation. And this is where a fresh mind, sometimes even a young child, may be able to see a better solution than the experienced so-called experts. Uh, then how to how to internalize, personalize this kind of teaching for oneself? Hey, that's the challenge. Okay, and the catheter bodhisattva came to offer a teaching. Huh? Uh, there's a lot of bodhisattvas in the skies running around, you know. Uh, uh, I remember there was young adult I think a teenager actually and she was talking to me with her family around and they were talking about bodhisattvas in disguise and she goes I know I know because she was learning how to drive and she said I know I know you know but that all these rude drivers said oh there's too many these bodhisattvas in disguise driving around and uh, <laughs> those are classic nice stories uh, I do want to mention that what was alluded to briefly, uh, I was on uh, the psychology faculty at the University of North Carolina in Greensboro, and Andy Goyo, since there was a Ph.D. student, and, uh, he was in a different specialty. He was in a cognitive behavior, behavior therapy field. and uh, But as graduate students... And we're all, our faculty was very young. And uh, so some graduate students and our young faculty, we got together every weekend. And uh, according to the season, we played touch football in the park. We went to the school gym and uh, played basketball. And I think we even organized uh, uh, sort of a semi-official competition games between faculty and grad students. Okay. 
and I won't belabor the point about you know what the outcome was, but uh uh-huh. Uh I had a uh, sort of a related experience and you might find this of interest. Um uh, back in the day I had uh I had a, a stomach ulcer, I guess. It's not the kind of ulcer that usually duodenum, uh, one that's presumably caused by worry and all that, and then you, you were supposed to drink milk, which is, as it turns out, is the worst thing you could do, that, uh, that the tumors, that tumor, wow, that, that the ulcer is not caused by stress or anything you eat. It's caused by a particular, uh, gee, is it a virus? Yeah, I'm not sure, but there was a, 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 a scientist. This is a true story. He said, hey, none of those other things are necessary for treatment. It's caused by this particular virus. And here's the, it might have been a bacteria, because here it says, here, here's the antibacterial. That's all you got to do. Just take this and boom, it knocks it out. And this was contrary to years and years of what was a common medical knowledge at the time. And all of his professional colleagues didn't believe him. So this doctor infected himself with this bacteria, and then he showed how to treat it. And that one, that one thing changed the whole treatment of ulcers. Well, fortunately, my experience came at, you know, after all this was known. Uh, but they wanted to, uh, my doctor, it was a, just a, uh inpatient thing, outpatient thing, and I, I visited the doctor's office, and he says, well, let's, well, first let's go and take a look. So they do an endoscopic, they put a thing down your throat, and, and then they're going to look at it and make sure what it is and all that, okay? So this was explained all to me and everything. The nurses were there. And they give me a little cocktail of, uh, I don't know what it was, a Valium Demerol cocktail, just a little bit, take the edge off. Okay? And uh, I was, I, they gave it to me intravenously, and, then I, they, and I was waiting in the waiting room. They said, well, let's just wait a few minutes uh, uh, for it to take effect, and then we'll go and do the endoscopic treatment and, and take a look. I said, fine. And as I was waiting, I... I I was prepping myself. I said, well, gee, this is my first experience. I don't know what it's going to be like. But I put my hands uh, in the professional, you know, medical professionals. I'm not going to worry about a thing. I am just going to do what I'm told and, you know. Well, the nurse came back and said, well, you can go now. And I said, uh, what about the treatment? Oh, that's finished. I said, what? And I told her, I said, I don't remember a thing. She goes, oh, no, you were, you were fine. We asked you to do this, and, you know, you did that. We, you, you followed instructions everything, and this was weird. I had auto-suggested myself so much 
that uh, I was trans. I must have been some kind of semi-transed out. It was a, I had never had such an experience. So the interesting part is after a couple of weeks, you know, I got the treatment, boom, fixed up. But they got to do the post-treatment endoscopic, take a look, see how it's healed up. So this time, I said to myself, I'm not going to, you know, do what I did last time. This time, I'm going to really make a conscious effort to be aware of everything. Okay? Just be aware. And the experience was completely different. I was aware of everything that went on. Okay? And when they uh, put the scope down my throat, you know, of course, I, I did have this the same cocktail, so... It's not unpleasant, physically unpleasant. And I could hear myself, uh, you know, reflex, reflex, gar- you know, choking sound that I'm making. It didn't bother me, it, but and all this stuff, I, you know, it was a completely different experience because of my expectations. And there's a, there's a strong lesson there. Okay, whether you want to call it a Buddhist teaching or psychological techniques and and uh, how to psychologically, you know, use psychology in an adaptive way. Wow. Thank you for this nice revisiting of some, uh, a lot of potentially good teachings to revisit. That's all for today's broadcast. Until next time, keep going, and you have a wonderful day. Thank you.